let's say, dismiss Sunday school. Okay. Now, please, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> this morning, our text will be Philippians 1, verses 27 to 30. Let's pray. Father, we yearn for the continual grace of the sensed presence of your Spirit. Cause us to continue to worship you now over your word. Meet us. Meet us deeply with your truth and your care. You would cause our hearts to rise in faith and childlike trust that you've got this or that or the other thing. Allow your word unto us through the Apostle Paul to do this work this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's just very briefly remember the flow of the text that brings us to this point. Paul, in verses 12 to 18, said that my suffering has actually resulted in the spread of the gospel. In verses 19 to 21, he said, in my suffering, whether I live or die, I'm not going to shame Christ, but Christ will be exalted in my life. And last week in verses 22 to 26, we saw that because of the welfare of your souls, Philippian Christians, I put aside what I would choose if I didn't think about you. I prefer you over my own personal preference for the gospel's sake and for your soul's sake. And that brings us then to verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything, by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. 
engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible word. At the beginning here of verse 27, it is the first imperative mood verb in the letter. That's the mood of command. Do this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he he throws in that word, monon. You can hear mono. Only this one thing. In other words, this is really the only really important thing. Christians, let the way you live, let the way you conduct your daily life, let it be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the word of the Lord to us. When we wake up every day, he's saying, pursue this. Pursue the best things, the things, the decisions, the actions that will glorify Christ. So we're going to spend a number of minutes right now taking the text very seriously, which means pay attention to the grammar and to the syntax. Because that's how God's ordained it. To say something, to say one thing and not another thing clearly through language. The language that the Apostle Paul uses here. So let's go slowly. The purpose here for Paul telling them and through them telling us, only, here's the purpose of this, only let the manner of your life, the way you conduct your life, do it in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. The purpose for that, grammatically, is this. So that, see those words? There it is. So that I, Paul, I might hear of you. Hear what? That you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. In, in other words, everything right there that follows the words, so that, is specifically spelling out what living worthily of the gospel means. So that I may hear about you something. And that something is this. That you are standing firm in one soul. Literally. One, in one spirit. Meaning that Philippians, believers, church, walk worthily of the gospel so that what I will see is this. You're standing Together with a purpose 
a goal. Have that same purpose, have that same goal. That's what he has said so far. What is it? And that's what he goes to unpack. And he says it's, it's a twofold thing, twofold. This is what, what I mean by standing firm in, in, in one goal, one purpose. First is this, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Secondly, it's this, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. So to stand firm with the one goal, to live your life worthy of Christ means daily have faith, be trusting God. And don't be frightened by the opposition that you're experiencing. That's it. So let's go to the first part of that. What, what, what does that mean? The faith of the gospel. What does he mean by faith of the gospel? Now, look, see, in the Greek, it's called a genitive case. That's why we translate it of the gospel. In Greek, you got the same problem we have as English speakers all the time. Anytime you see of and then a noun, you're asking, well, how is that being used? And so here's the question. What does Paul mean by striving for the faith of the gospel? Is it what is called a, an objective genitive where of the gospel would be the object of the noun that came before it, faith, meaning something like this. Strive for having faith in the gospel. Is that what it means here? I don't think so. In other words, not in the sense that Guys, the gospel is being attacked. False teachings coming about. Stand against it for, for, for the content, in other words. Faith in that sense, like Jude would use it. For the faith once for all delivered. Stand for the content of the gospel. I don't think that's what he means here because in the first couple chapters of Philippians, it doesn't seem at all in Paul's mind to be a problem of that the false teaching is entering the church and they got to stand that way, like the Galatian churches, where that is exactly the problem. But instead, I think of the gospel should be understood as a genitive of origin. The gospel is the origin of the noun before it. Faith. In other words, what he means by faith of the gospel, he means living by faith. Trusting God in the gospel. His promises, what he has said, his providences. Living by faith, fighting the fight of faith. Walking by faith and not by sight. That's what he means. In other words... It's essentially a restatement of the beginning of verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the only way that you do that is trust Him. And that's what produces your manner of life. So, stand firm with one purpose, and it's twofold, First, by striving together, living by faith, which springs from the gospel. That's what it is to be walking worthy 
of the gospel. And then secondly, by not being terrified or intimidated by opposition to you as a Christian, to what you believe, to, to how that makes you function and live in decisions that you, you make, Philippians. It's right there, verse 28. And, this is why it's the second part, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. They have opponents in Philippi. They're non-Christians in the town they live in. And it, some of it might be even government authorities, as Paul experienced when he was in Philippi the, the first time. They're being threatened because they're Christians. And so there it is. Stand firm together, twofold. Go on together, trusting God in the gospel. And as you're experiencing opposition, don't let it move you. Be frightened by your opponents. And then... The rest of the passage, look down at it to the end of the chapter. The second part of verse 28 all the way to 30, all of that is, is a twofold argument or encouragement for why the Philippians should be fearless. Fearless before their adversaries. And here, here, here in a synopsis, here's Paul's argument. Why should you be fearless in persecution? In opposition, first, because that happening is a sign of their destruction and of your final salvation one day. That's the first reason. Second reason is this because the opposition, because the suffering, it's from God. That's his twofold argument. Let's look at it. His first encouragement or argument is verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. Okay, here it is. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation. This, what is the this? The this refers to the, the fearlessness in the face of opposition. This dynamic in your lives, Christians. It is what? It is a sign. It's a proof of their destruction first. It's a sign to them when, when he says that, he doesn't mean as they're persecuting you and coming against the gospel and making life hard on you. He doesn't mean that they are conscious that, oh yeah, I'm going to be destroyed by God one day. That's not what he means by assigned to them. What he, it's just his way of saying, as you see this, understand what's happening is they're sealing their doom of destruction. 
In other words, dear Philippian Christians, persecution is a sign to you of the horror. It's coming to your persecutors at the judgment. And it's also a sign of you receiving what is promised. Your final salvation on that day. Now just for a moment, look at the word. Scary word. Destruction. It's translating the Greek word, apoleia. And to just get a taste of how that word apoleia is used in the New Testament, here's a few examples. Jesus uses apoleia this way in Matthew 7.13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Apuleia. Jesus prays in John 17, verse 12, this way, Father, of those that you've given to me, not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Apuleia. Paul writes in Romans 9, 22, what if God desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Apuleia. And Paul will use this term again in Philippians in chapter 3, verses 18 to 19. He says this, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Apuleia. Okay, so follow his argument first. Don't fear Christians. First, why? Because what's happening is you're not fearing in the midst of persecution. It's a sign. It's a sign of their destruction. It's a sign of your salvation. And then his second argument for being fearless in the face of persecution. His argument just is simply this. Because what you're experiencing is from God right there at the verse at the end of verse 28 and that from God the that the tuta the this or that however you want to translate it means the same thing the, the, the that it refers back to the sign of their destruction and of, and of your salvation in the midst of what you're experiencing here that is from Think about the logic. Let me read it slowly. Verse 28. And not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. 
In other words, since the loving God is in complete control of the occasion of your suffering, Philippians, therefore, don't be frightened. That's the logic of it. Then, what he goes on to do is to support his words. That from God. And then he argues for it. That's why verse 29 begins with the word for. Because. And that from God, because, here it is, it has been granted to you. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Okay, Paul's clear. Something has been given. I got kids always going through college the last number of years and try to tell them, you understand what a grant is? It's very different than a loan. You want grants. You want people to give you money that you don't owe back. It's a gift. It's what a, it's what a, a grant is. And that's what Paul says here. It's a gift. You've been given a gift from God. And that gift explains what he means by, and that experience is from God. So Paul says first, right? I mean, you can preach a whole sermon on this. I'm not going to do it. I'll spend about 10 seconds. You who believe, you who have come to faith in Jesus, there is only one explanation. And it has nothing to do with you of why you came. It was a gift. It was not only gifted to you to believe. Okay, okay. That's a huge, huge core doctrine in Paul's mind. They know that. But that's not his major point here. He, he says, it's not only given that. Now he says, now to my real point. Not only is your faith a gift, but also to suffer for Christ's sake, is also a gift from God. Paul explains why the present situation that they're experiencing from opposition, he's explaining why it's a sign of their future salvation. It's because they're believing in Christ and especially their experience of suffering for Christ's sake had been graciously given to them by God. And that is how we, in America, as persecution continues to arise against biblical Christians. Oh, that's, that's the power for us not to fear. But to choose suffering when the only choices are deny the gospel, deny truth, cave to the culture, 
or go through a door of opposition and suffering. That's the power to stand against the false religion of critical theory that wants to bring in a whole different worldview that is utterly anti-gospel and not see people as individuals, but to see them only in relation to their identity groups and thus preach sermons to them that they need to repent for something they did not do. This understanding is the power to stand of the biblical doctrine that God has created humanity in his image. And he created them male and female. And even though the brokenness of the world where all have pain and brokenness, Christian or non-Christian, and if a person was actually genuine thinking that they were the opposite gender of the sex that they were born with, a Christian cannot say, well, since you say that, it must be true. It's the power to stand against the culture on homosexuality, which is very unpopular in our day to say that it in and of itself is a sin. Okay, I could stand here an hour and go, but I won't. All right, let me go back real quickly, 28-29. So we see the logic. That's what I do. I'm going to do it two times this morning. I'm going to now give you my paraphrase of what I just said here, verse 28-29. That is to say it in a different way, so that you understand. How is Pastor Joe understanding what was just said? It's, here it is. Paul's saying, the evidence... That your courage is a sign of your salvation lies in the fact that God has graciously bestowed on you not only the gift of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering with Him to His glory. It's not an accident, Philippians. It's the stamp. Your opposition and your standing is a stamp that you belong And then finally, verse 30. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You're experiencing it. <coughs> you, you, you remember when Paul planted the church, we see it in the book of Acts, and they remember Paul was beaten along with Silas, bloody in the streets. And then apprehended and thrown in jail, all of it, not just immoral, it was illegal. And then he says, not only that, and now years later as I'm in Rome, you know what I'm going through here in my suffering and you're experiencing the same things. Okay, one more time now of the passage. Paraphrased. Philippians, the number one most important thing is that you live your lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Specifically, what I mean is this, stand firm together with one common purpose. 
And the first part of that is this. Strive side by side to live by faith in Christ, which stems from the gospel. That is, in other words, conduct your lives based on to live as Christ. And to die is gain because he's your highest treasure. And the second part is this. Don't be intimidated. Don't be frightened by the persecutions. Why? Here's your rock of truth to encourage you to stand. Because their opposition of the gospel, it's a sign from God of their destruction that's coming and of your salvation that's coming. And because you're, you're, you're suffering this opposition, it's not by accident. It is ultimately from God. And what I mean is that it has not only been given to you as a gift to believe in Jesus, oh, what mercy, but you have also been granted the gift of suffering for the sake of Christ. And that's why you're experiencing what you knew I experienced in Philippi, and you know what I'm experiencing now. I'm going to come back to the passage next week. Just because, I mean, there's some, at least one or two huge theological statements in here. But before we close this morning, just if the application isn't clear, just close by saying it over the next 10, 15 minutes clearly. It's right there. I don't have to try to think up one as a pastor this morning. He tells us how to leave. Church service this morning. Go. Live your lives in a way. Conduct your lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Literally, conduct yourselves worthily, because it's an adverb here, modifying how you live, the conduct, Conduct yourselves worthily of the gospel of Christ. That word translated worthy or worthily is oxios. So the question is, what does it mean? Now, from the context, which authors are always defining what they're saying, Paul has done that in the sense that we know it means, according to the passage, stand steadfast together, united in walking by faith and trust in Christ and not being frightened by fear. Yes. But the question's a little bit different here at the end. Does it mean we are to seek to become worthy of the gospel of Christ? To, to seek God's favor by, 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 by how we're going to conduct our lives? The answer is no. It doesn't mean that. It, it doesn't mean that you can or should or try to deserve or earn or merit the gospel. That's not what worthy of the gospel means. It does not mean to call attention to your own worth or value by, look how I'm living, and now God's obliged somehow to acknowledge that.
because I'm worthy. It's not what it means. Go slow. Just want you to listen to four other uses in the New Testament of oxios, the word worthy. <coughs> in 3 John verse 6, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the Apostle John writes, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 2.12. Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There's Paul. So you can see this is not a one-time thing with Paul. This is embedded in Paul's theology of sanctification. In Colossians 1.10, he writes, Walk means live your life. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And in Ephesians 4.1, he says, walk, live your lives in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, all four of those uses, they do not mean in any way merit God, merit the gospel, merit the call. But they mean that God's gospel the call that you have from God to come to faith in Him, it means those things merit something from us. In other words, to walk worthily of the Lord, of the call, of the gospel. Colossians 1.10, one more time, let me read it. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And Paul starts to unfold that to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That first one, worthy of the Lord, to please the Lord. Okay. Christians, how do you please the Lord? Well, there ought to be, hopefully, a verse that is just ringing in your head right now. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, without looking to God and trusting His promises, He's my only... And this is the context of Hebrews 11. He's my only happiness. He's the rewarder. I want that. Without faith, it's impossible to please so at least there's a clue of what it is to walk worthily of the Lord, of the call, of the gospel. So it at least means walk by faith. Faith means walk trusting. Trusting what? God has spoken. It's filled with I'm out for your happiness, my child. So don't do that. Stop that. Do this. Do that. Oh, and then 
myriad of promises that he makes to his children. Faith is trusting that. Faith, by definition, what it is, whether a little child has faith in mommy daddy it, it is just it's, it looks away from itself and it looks to the other you I'm trusting you keep a promise it, it looks away from itself to the other's ability to the other's integrity to the grace of another so walking worthily of the Lord, of the gospel, means acting in a way that shows the Lord is worthy. And to do that, there's nothing. You cannot do that apart from faith, apart from trusting. You cannot say, I, you say, don't do that. You say, just trust me. Here's your promise. You say, no, 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 no. My obedience is going to prove today. I don't believe that, but I'm walking worthy of the gospel you can't do that. Okay, now, just clearly. That's why it's a fight of faith. Perfection in this life for genuine Christians is, is never, don't ever wake up and say, today it's a possibility I will be without taint or sin. No, 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 no. That's why, but what is what is the sign of your genuineness is your love for Christ. It is a sign of hating when unbelief arises, which is defined as disobedience to God. I don't, don't trust you there. Okay, and it's a sign of your repentance. And it's a sign of the victories that you have. Oh, life gets changed. True repentance from lifestyles happens. Walk worthy of the Lord means the gospel is worthy of being trusted. Live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Just, just, just for a moment, just think about, remember that line from John the Baptist? Bring forth fruit worthy, or it's essentially what it means, that is Keeping with repentance. Now, that clearly does not mean, oh yeah, now I've changed, so now I'm somehow worthy of repentance. Or I deserved repentance because look at my life. It doesn't mean that. Can't mean that. It assumes that, that, that repentance is, is such a, a valuable commodity that it calls, is what John the Baptist said, it calls forth action in your life that fits with the nature of what repentance is. And so it is with the phrase, worthy of the gospel of Christ. It means live Walk, choose, act day by day in ways that fit the great value and the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means trust it. Obey the gospel with a heart of faith. Faith 
and its fruits, which is your manner of life and conduct. That's what fits the worth, the value of the gospel. So, as a close, none of us should leave this building today thinking, I must have faith, I must have conduct and how I'm walking and living and repenting. I must do that, that that springs from the gospel, so that I become worthy of God's grace. No. Total misread and a mishear. But rather, God's grace is free. It's infinitely worth my trusting. That's what we walk away with. Living worthily of the gospel means walking by faith. Because faith is the only thing that agrees with or fits with what the gospel demands. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Together, with one aim, striving to live by the faith that the gospel calls forth from us daily, thus demonstrating how worthy the Lord is. Let's pray. Life is complex, Lord. And your word has its wonderful way of reminding us again and again how simple it is. And so may we walk away from here today in one mind, in one soul, in one spirit, which is to strive together in our lives, trusting you. And trusting what you say about our desperate need daily to commune with you alone and to commune with you together. We thank you, Lord. It is in that, as we keep the gospel clear, the work of the Spirit does his magnificent Christ glorifying job.